Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the topic of one God, one world, one people. My guest is Rabbi Wayne Dosick, the author of many books, including Living Judaism, The Complete Guide to Jewish Belief, The Real Name of God, Embracing the Full Essence of the Divine, Soul Judaism, Dancing with God into a New Era, when Life Hurts, Finding the Strength to Build Anew When Your Whole Life Falls Apart, Empowering Your Indigo Child, a handbook for parents of children of spirit, and most recently, the book we'll be discussing, Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. Rabbi Dasik is in San Diego, California, where he is the spiritual guide of the Elijah Minion. And now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Rabbi Dasik. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. You seem to be the kind of person, when you talk about radical loving, who embraces the whole universe, including all people and, and all traditions. Is, is that fair? Absolutely. I mean, I'm passionately Jewish, and uh, I have been, obviously, all my life, and I've given my life to, uh, to be a rabbi, to lead uh, the Jewish people, and <clears throat> I understand the humanity of all the human family and uh, of all religions and all pathways to God. And so, yes, I am uh, an accumulist at heart. I, and I feel the same way. To, so, we have something important in common. I think it's important to uh, embrace everything because one could say whether you use the language of God or philosophical language like the ground of being, we all come from the same source. Absolutely. Uh, well, there is one God, there's one world, there's one people, the subtitle of my book, Radical Loving, and God loves us all. God created us all and says to us, I am the parent of you all, and I don't play favorites. I love you all equally, and I hope you will love me, and I hope you will learn to love each other. And you also write in your book how God is within each and every one of us, and we are within God. Absolutely. Everything, everything, everything in this world is of God, so that unlike the some of the New Agers, uh, there's a differentiation. I don't think that we are God, but we are of God, and God is everything, everything, everything. God is you and me and the and uh, this uh, rock and this pen and the oranges and uh, every every ascended uh, being. So there is nothing that is not God. I, I think that is 
true, and, and it's also a very deep, important, and beautiful sentiment. And, and yet, as I was reading over your book, I found another sentiment with which I feel a lot of sympathy in which you, you list all of the isms that seem to go against this ethos that we've just described, Nazism, sexism, fascism, uh, white supremacism. And, and at one point, you say, we have to eradicate them all. And I, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for that. And at the same time, I wonder how can you do that and embrace them all at the same time? Well, embracing the people and embracing the ideologies are two different things. We are all children of God. Sometimes as children, we make mistakes. God says, here's a set of rules. Here's a set of human behavior. I created you. I know you. I know what will be best for you. And here are some consequences if you don't follow the simple rules of human interaction. And the consequences are that all those isms have failed. And all those isms in many, many ways have done nothing but fill the cemeteries of our countries with the best and the brightest of our young people. And so uh, an ideology that is becomes a fundamentalist ideology, often leads to terrorism, often leads to um, the, the suppression of human rights and human freedoms. And therefore, uh, we see that history, they, they wind up, most of them wind up on the garbage heap of history. Well, I guess it would be fair to say that uh, you are an unabashed political liberal, uh, as well as uh, one who embraces the fullness of God. I am a Bobby Kennedy Democrat. Oh, oh okay. That makes it pretty clear. I, uh, I grew up on uh, pro-civil rights and anti-war picket lines in the 60s, and um, I am not a... a um, I'm not far, far left by any means. I'm certainly not far right. There is a center. There's a center. So I may lean a little this way or a little that way. But um, we are all, again, we are all children of God and we all deserve the, the beauty of that relationship. You tell a wonderful story in, in your book. I believe it's from uh, what is known in rabbinical circles as a midrash about uh, the creation of the universe. And after, as I recall, after the fifth day, God is contemplating creating humans. And, and at that point, there's a debate in heaven. Right. So the angels say to God, congratulations, Mazel Tov. You made a great world. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's pristine. And uh, so wonderful creation, God. And God says, I'm not done. And the angels say, what do you mean? And God said, well, tomorrow on the sixth day, I'm going to create human beings. And the angels said, don't do that, God. Don't do that. All they'll ever do is give you trouble. They'll, uh, they'll rape your lands of its beautiful minerals. They'll cut down your beautiful trees. They'll pollute your skies and your waters. And they'll fight with each other. And they'll eventually kill each other. And their blood will stain your beautiful new uh, planet. So don't do it. And God said, thank you for your advice. But I'm going to create human beings tomorrow. And the angel said, why? Why? 
And the God answers and says in this legend, well, I created this beautiful universe, but but I'll be lonely there without anybody to talk to, without anybody to be my co-creative partners, without anybody to build up the, the from the source and the core that I've created. So the next day, God created human beings. Uh, it's a fascinating story, but it suggests that God did this uh, with the understanding that there was going to be conflict and strife, that it was sort of built in to uh, what it means to be human. Yes. And at the same time, then God gives us a bunch of rules, a set, a standard of behavior that says, I know you, I created you. I know you are capable of doing not so good things, but here's the blueprint, the design for doing very good things. And here's the consequences if you don't do it that way. It's not punishment, it's consequences. There's a difference between punishment and consequences. So for example, if um, you give your new, your 16 year old with his new driver's license, the car, the keys to the car, and he comes home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you say, where were you? You're grounded. Go to your room. You can't use the car for another month. That's a punishment. But you didn't tell him in advance. So if you say the curfew is 11, and he comes home at 2, then there can be a punishment. Otherwise, he knows a priori what the consequence is, and he brings home the car at 11. That's what God says to us. I don't want to punish you. So here's the set of rules. Just follow them. But if you don't, then there will be consequences. And those consequences will be that you don't get along with each other and your life, which could be so much uh, happier, will not be. When I talk to people such as yourself, who I, I would say have a mystical bent and a liberal bent at the same time from different religions, Islam, it could be Christianity or even a pagan, that the, there's a kind of a kinship. And oftentimes people, very religious people from these traditions tell me, I feel more connection with, with other people of other faiths who share my openness than I do with the fundamentalists and the traditionalists of my own faith. Would, it, do you, would you echo that sentiment? I would. <clears throat> and people like that whom you describe understand that God's revelation is continuing. And so what happened is the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews came along and they said, we have this set of uh, stories and legends and rules from God, and it's better than what the pagans have. And then Christianity came along and said, we have this new revelation, the New Testament, and it's better than what the Jews have. And then Islam came along and said, we got a new revelation, it's called the Quran, and it's better than all the others. It's what Christianity calls replacement theology. But it's not better. It is the product of evolving human consciousness, it is a continuation. It is this and that, not this instead of that. This and that, this and that. And so God, oh, God gives us more and more as we understand the, the mysteries of the universe more and more. God opens up to us more and more and gives us uh, a greater understanding of the universe 
and a greater understanding of our relationship with God and a greater understanding of our relationship with each other. And so people of faith understand that that wisdom is wisdom. It doesn't belong to any one group. And every teacher, Abraham and Moses and Jesus and Mohammed, and in modern times, Dr. King and Mother Teresa, they are all teachers for the world, not for any one group. It does seem to me we live in an age in which we are the inheritors of the spiritual traditions of every land and culture. We are. And we sometimes forget. We sometimes forget. Uh, particularly here in America, we forget that we are the, the inheritors of all the tribal traditions of the Native Americans, which are beautiful, which are wise, which are brilliant in so many ways. And so we can't forget those things. Uh, you go to Canada, for example, and the, the honor and the respect for the First Nation is tremendous. And here in America, we slaughtered and we're paying the price. You know, one of the issues that I personally have had with, with Judaism, I've discussed it on this channel uh, in, in some of the monologues I do. It, it struck me one day, uh, I was at my local synagogue and they were having a, a, a Passover gathering and they had invited a gospel uh, group from a local uh, black church in the community and they were singing, let my people go. And then I heard this verse in which uh, I think it goes, thus saith the Lord, bold Moses said, let my people go or else I'll strike your children dead. Let my people go. And, and when I heard that, it was like an arrow in my heart to think that this is, this is supposedly God speaking about striking dead innocent children. I, I've always had trouble with uh, Judaism since, since I heard that rendition of that song. We didn't write those lines. It's not a Jewish text. Um, we have respect and honor for other interpretations. That is not our interpretation. I taught for 17 years at the local Catholic university, a diocesan university here called the University of San Diego. I taught the only courses in Jewish studies in the Department of Religion and Theology, which is not bad for a kid who in my youth on the south side of Chicago was beaten up by the Catholic kids for killing their Lord. We've, we've come a very long way. I went to mass often. Mass is beautiful. It's not my theology, but I respect it and I honor it for my good friend, Father O'Leary's theology. And I would not, uh, I would ask you, Jeff, uh, as your rabbi of the day, I would ask you to uh, understand that, that that wasn't our text. So we invited, in your synagogue, we invited, uh, your synagogue invited this uh, gospel group. And in many, many ways, the, the, ideas are the same. I mean, the freedom from Egypt and freedom from from slavery are the exact same ideas. And if uh, one line took it a little too far, it was not a Jewish line. Um, and um, 
So don't blame your synagogue or your rabbi or your theology. Well, well, what about the very name Passover? It means that God passed over the homes of the Jews when he was slaughtering the firstborn children of the Egyptians. That's quite biblical, isn't it? It is, and there are consequences to our actions, and God sent the plagues nine times before that, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened over and over and over again. So um, it may have been a little extreme, but it eventually, uh, and we're not necessarily proud of it, and you know that a Passover Seder, when we say the ten plagues, we also dip out from our full cup of wine, for each of the plagues, we dip out or pour off a drop of wine because we recognize that for our freedom, others had to suffer. And so we use that sim symbol and we teach our children from the very earliest age to drop out that drop of, of grape juice from their little cups to say, we're not happy that this had to happen. And if only, if only Pharaoh had listened the nine times before, this never would have happened. And at the same time, it did happen, and that's God's choice, not ours. And we, we, uh, we acknowledge that other people had to suffer for our freedom. Well, of course, this is. I don't wish to get into a theological debate about Judaism with you. I think you have many more important things uh, to talk about, but it's a fascinating subject. And uh, I know, for example, the, the biblical expression is God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was all part of God's plan, one might say, that it should uh, work out this way. It meant that Pharaoh, that, that phrase means that Pharaoh was hell-bent for destruction. There is another uh, portion of uh, the book of Exodus that has always troubled me. And since, since I've started on this line of thinking, I, I hope you don't mind if I pursue it a little further. Well, this has turned into a fascinating conversation about radical loving, but go right ahead. There's the uh, episode in the in the book of Exodus in which Moses comes down. You write about it in your book, in fact. Moses comes down with the first version of the Ten Commandments, and he sees the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf. He smashes the tablets, goes up again to Mount Sinai, and comes down with the second version. Uh, and you write about that, but what, uh, as I understand the story, and uh, God instructs Moses that these people need to be punished, and I think the uh, book of Exodus says some 20,000 were slaughtered uh, as punishment for worshiping the golden calf. Yeah, and so? And, and at the direction of God. Well, look, we have to, first of all, Yes, you're right. That story is there. Second of all, the second set of tablets was different because the first tab set of tablets was written by Etzba Elohim, with the finger of God, by the finger of God. The second set, Moses had to take dictation. So there, there was a difference to them. Second of all, when the, the second set was put into the Holy Ark of the Covenant, the shards of the first set were put there too, because even in our uh, misbehavior, there is holiness. Third, uh, I don't like that portion any more than you do, and I don't like that God any more than you do. That's why I wrote my most recent book before Radical Loving, 
which is called the real name of God, because the God of the angry, hierarchical, um, masculine uh, God with the image of the long beard sitting on the heavenly throne um, is not the God of compassion and love whom I know and whom, with whom I have a deep personal relationship. So I went looking for the name of the, uh, so I thought that was one aspect of God, not the whole aspect of God. So if you picture a beach ball with all the many colors to that beach ball, each one of those panels is one aspect or attribute or manifestation or behavior of the divine. And, my, and, and, and uh, Adonai, or God is translated, is one of those aspects. But I wanted to know what's the name of the whole beach ball. And that's my book, The Real Name of God, Embracing the Full Essence of the Divine. And I found that, that Adonai, or that name of God, is just one aspect. And there are many, many aspects and attributes to God. And I found the name of the divine beach ball. And that's what the book, The Real Name of God, is all about. I would love to uh, see if we can't do a whole interview just on that book, Rabbi. Uh, in, in the meantime, it strikes me, if I look at the whole Jewish tradition, you have the Torah given to Moses by God. Uh, but you also have the rabbinical tradition where uh, for now, for thousands of years, I suppose about 3,000 years, the rabbis have endeavored to uh, interpret, to take this very uh, difficult and paradoxical text at times and, and humanize it and, and, and create a, uh, an ethos that works for, for people. Yes. So we had the first uh, 2,000 years, uh, or the first yeah, 2,000 years of Judaism is what we call biblical Judaism. And then for the last 2,000 years, we've had what we call rabbinical Judaism, where the rabbis and the sages said, continuing revelation comes through us, and we will uh, tell it to you, and we will record it in various uh, uh, texts. And this is the laws, the way you are to follow it. Uh, my own feeling is that just as biblical Judaism gave way to rabbinic Judaism, rabbinic Judaism is now in the midst of giving way to Judaism's third era. It'll take hundreds of years, just like it did the first time. And Judaism's third era is coming. And since nobody named it yet, I got to name it. I call it Neshama Judaism or Soul Judaism. And I tell that whole story in my book, Dancing with God which in paperback is now called Soul Judaism. But yes, I've addressed that entire issue in a whole book. Because I've had the privilege of interviewing many teachers from different traditions, and they all have this feeling that we are on the cusp of a new era, whether you think of it as the age of Aquarius, or as Matthew Fox wrote, the coming of the cosmic Christ. Uh, something is in the air. Well, literally, it is the age of Aquarius. Literally. Take a look at this. And I think I put this in the in near the back of, the, of Radical Loving. That the history of, of humankind, we know the world is billions of years old. But the history of humankind is about 6,000 years old because that's when human beings began to record itself. Humankind was able to record itself. So in those first 2,000 years, 
the astrological uh, setup with Earth. Earth was in um, Taurus, and Taurus is the sign of the bull. And in the pagan world, that was a symbol in many ways of the pagan world, the bull. Again, uh, slowly, 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 over a 2,000-year period, the astrological signs move. And the next astrological, and it goes backward as far as we know. And so the next astrological sign was, um, was Aries, the sign of the ram. And that was the time of Judaism, when the ram and the ram's horn was the symbology of Judaism. 2,000 years later, the movement was into Pisces. Pisces is the sign of the fish. It is the era of Christianity, and the fish is still the symbol of Christianity today. And now these 2,000 years later, two, four, six, these 2,000 years later, we're entering into the next 2,000-year period, and it is indeed the age of Aquarius, who is the water bearer, who is the synthesizer, the purifier of all that has come before. So we are indeed entering the age of Aquarius. Here we are. Well, you and I are uh, roughly the same age and I think part of the same uh, generation. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for uh, that idea, the age of Aquarius. I know many young people seem to look at us and, and, and think, well, we're, we've become too liberal, too soft, too mushy. And uh, there seems to be a resurgence of uh, right-wing activism uh, all over the world. Well, right-wing activism means I think I'm right. And if you don't think so, I will try to convince you. And if I can't convince you, I will terrorize you. And if terrorizing you doesn't um, convince you, then I will kill you. And that's what's going on right now, this very moment for all kinds of political reasons, which we're not going to discuss now. The Taliban is retaking Afghanistan. And if they just took re retook Afghanistan and said, this is our country, get out, it might be one thing. But coming with their takeover is the complete suppression of women and women's rights and human rights and education for girls and the, uh, the insistence that the husband or the brother controls the life of a woman. That is absolutely unconscionable and obscene. And that is fundamentalism at its worst. So um, there is, of course, left-wing fundamentalism, but right-wing fundamentalism is, the, is what creates terror in this world. Well, when you write that we have to eradicate uh, this ideology, not the people, love the people, but eradicate the ideology. It's rather difficult when you have the, the people on that side who say, I will die for my ideology. The only way to eradicate the ideology would seem to be to eradicate the people. We cannot let the world be taken over by, by a, an ideology that suppresses human rights and human freedoms. Now, there are limits to human freedoms. There are, there are limits. So for example, for those who right now are saying, I won't take the vaccine. I wonder if they also say, I won't stop at the red light. 
They're putting over uh, if they're driving and won't stop at red lights. They're putting everybody into danger. If they don't take the vaccine, they're putting everybody into danger. But at the same time, we can say to people, you have the right to believe anything you want. But what you believe is not right. It is not for the greater good, for the common good, for the greatest good. It is for your own narrow belief system. And your narrow belief system is not for the greatest good of the community. One of the things that you point out is is that there is a tendency for people to be silent in the face of people who who such as these extreme right wing fundamentalists of various stripes who who say, you know, if you oppose me, I will kill you. So people keep their mouths shut and don't stand up to them. And that's what, uh, in effect, gives them uh, the permission to continue. Right. Elie Wiesel of Blessed Memory said it is the indifference that the indifference of human beings that is uh, that which uh, which hurts us the most. Modern Jewish people, people of our generation are living in the shadow of, of the Holocaust. It was uh, a horrendous experience. I don't think there's a, a Jewish person alive who wasn't touched by it in some way. Certainly many members of my family were, uh, people I've never knew, uh, but who uh, were unable to uh, have children because they were all uh, wiped out in Eastern Europe. Uh, I, I'm guessing the same is true for you and every member of your community. Uh, that gives uh, a rabbi, a, a, a person of Jewish spirituality, a particular insight into uh, the nature of this problem. I have lived my entire life. I was born in 1947. I've always been asked, in Yiddish, what kind of nomen is Vain for a rabbi? What kind of name is Wayne for a rabbi? Why is it why I'm not I'm not Samuel or David or Jacob? Well, the the stench of Auschwitz was still in the nostrils of my parents and everybody else in those days. So you get Waynes and Seymours and Berries and Debbies and Judies because our parents wanted to protect us from what had just happened in, in Europe. I've lived my entire life with a soul of, I think, a young child perched on my shoulders. And I think that young child was a victim in one of the camps, I'm not sure where. And my responsibility was to live my life both for me and for him or her. When I had a, a big synagogue, a big suburban synagogue, we were able to obtain a Torah scroll that had been saved from the Holocaust from Czechoslovakia. And every time a child came to that Torah for a bar about mitzvah. We took, we took that Torah from the ark, and the child read from that Torah, not only for him or herself, but for one of the children of that little town of Rodnice, 
who wanted to stand at that tower but never had the chance. A number of years ago, we took our granddaughters to Washington, D.C., and, of course, one of the sites we went to see was the Holocaust Museum because it's further away from them than it was from us, and we wanted them to be aware. So one of the things that's at that museum is a train car that they think was one of the train cars, the cattle cars, in which people were stuffed and taken to Auschwitz to die. And I stood in that car and I heard the screams and I smelled the smells and I felt the fear and I began to sob in a way that I can't remember sobbing ever before. It scared my little granddaughter. Why is Papa crying like that? So my wife explained to her. But while I was standing there, really sobbing uncontrollably, I couldn't stop. Some woman came up to me. I glanced at her. She looked like a good corn-fed woman from Iowa. And she put her arm around me. And she said, I'm so very sorry. She walked away. It was like the legend of the prophet Elijah showing up to comfort. That woman clearly wasn't Jewish. She was a tourist. She came to the Holocaust Museum. And she must have felt in some small way what I was feeling in a larger way. And she came to comfort. There are good people in this world. There are people who are not indifferent. There are people who say never again. We are frightened at the surge of anti-Semitism in this world. And part of our fright is because of the rhetoric or lack thereof that we heard in the last five, six years here in this country where the leader of the country, instead of stomping down anti-Semitism when it reared its ugly head, said, oh, in Charlottesville, there were good people on both sides of the issue. There were not good people on both sides of the issue. There were people who were perpetrating evil. And that led to attacks against Jews on the streets and in synagogues, against synagogues, and led to attacks against black Baptist churches and to ministers who are freedom-loving. That's got to change. That's got to change. And fortunately, the country was wise enough to change the rhetoric by changing the person in that office. And maybe things will calm down a little bit. But what was, still is. And our only response 
And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. The only response to anger and to hatred and to fear is love. If we send anger and hatred and fear back into the world, it will spiral back to us. If we send love into the world, maybe, maybe that will spiral back to us and touch others on its way. There was um, another passage in your book that touched me deeply. It, it's about the story of Jacob and Esau. And as, as I recall, Jacob, uh, the son of Isaac, cheats his brother Esau out of his birthright uh, it, it, with connivance from uh, their mother. And, and uh, they meet later on. And Jacob says to Esau, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. That is the whole key to how we behave with each other. Each of us is created in the image of God. And if you look into the mirror, you see not only the Jeff of humanness, Jeff, but you see the face of God. And if you look at me, hopefully, you see the face of God. So if we look at each other, this is the concept of namaste. The divine in me acknowledges the divine in you. And so if we see the face of God in every human being, then, for example, if uh, the, the teenage clerk in the convenience store can't make change for a dollar bill without using a little calculator, or the bank teller is waiting you make in wait in line for a long, long time because he or she can't to do can't to figure out how to deposit your check. If instead of getting angry and frustrated, we see each person in the face of God, then again, if you see the face of God, the only possible response is love. And if I see the face of God in you, my only possible response is love. So what we did was, because there are so many concepts here in this book, and because chant enters deeply into our psyche at far different places than words do, uh, we made a CD. I know, I know the kids don't call it CDs anymore, but we made a CD with, it's called Radical Loving One God Will Roll People, just like the book. And it has 21 chants in it. And I made up a lot of them. They're all English so that people can get them. If you're interested, you can go to the, the website, RadicalLovingBook.com, and you, you can listen to three or four of them, as we used to say in the old society of Chicago, free for nothing. Um, and then you could buy a download or a hard copy of the, of the album. But one of the songs that we made up goes, Seeing the face of God. Seeing the face of God, seeing the face, the face of God, seeing the face of God, seeing the light of God, seeing the love of God, seeing the face of God in you, seeing the face of God. Sing that over and over to yourself. Put that into your, your unconsciousness consciousness. And before you know it, every person you see will be the face of God. And I trust that you're including now the, the people who were in Charlottesville chanting, uh, we don't want Jews to replace us. That's correct, because I'm saying to them, look, don't look at me like that. I'm not going to look at you like that. I'm going to look at you as a child of God. So you look at me as a child of God. 
What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Tell you some of the things that are wrong with you at this moment. Because hatred is not, and blind hatred, of course, you don't know me. You don't know me. All you know is that that I'm Jewish. And that's what happened in um, in Germany, in Poland. I assure you, Jeff, Hitler did not care whether you liked a particular biblical passage or not. You're Jewish, you die. So that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable then, it's unacceptable now. So, you know, look, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do. You remember back to 1987, we, we had this thing called the Harmonic Convergence. Yes. And we, we stood around the world holding hands and singing songs. And we were going to change the world. And the world laughed at us. But you know what? If you take a look at the world in the aftermath of the Harmonic Convergence, the Soviet Union fell. All the satellite countries fell. The Berlin Wall came down. Blacks and whites started riding the bus together in Johannesburg. Protestants and Catholics stopped shooting each other in Northern Ireland. And once in a while, Jews and Arabs sat down at peace tables. Now, did our did our singing bring about all of this? Did our holding hands bring about all this? No, but maybe. Because we sent out a love vibration to the world. And that love vibration is a whole lot better than a hatred vibration. And the love vibration spirals around the world, spirals around the world, spirals back to us. Who knows what might happen if we sing some of these chants, if we begin to live with some of the principles and the ideology, the ideas and the ideals in radical loving. Well, I'm I'm totally with you uh, on on this, Rabbi. I uh, am I'm a hippie at heart. Uh, I, <laughs> I have been ever ever since the 1960s. Uh, you know, growing up in in I'm a year older than you, as a matter of fact. So we we grew up in the same era, and and it has always been an important part for me. But I hear young people talking these days, and and sort of glory violence and, and war and saying this is how humanity progresses. Uh, I find it very sad. Well, you know, um, there's a chapter in the book on conscious parenting. And a great deal of what you just described comes from these video games and cartoons and movies. And do you know the power that parents have in this one finger, turn off the button. Spend time with your children. Take them fishing. Play catch. Teach them to crochet. Be with them. Don't make your life so busy that you don't have time for the to fulfill the promise you made to those children when you brought them into this world. They don't need the, pardon me, crap that comes from the, the video world, they need the love and attention and support of parents who are going to teach them good values and do with them worthy things. There are many, many, I mean, there are far too many to, to, um, to, to uh, enumerate. And, um, you know, my kids like baseball. They don't like fishing very much because I like baseball. I didn't like fishing. But if I learned they'd like fishing, they would have learned like fishing too. So, 
there's so much that we can teach our children and turn off parents turn off now there's value in the, that computer and that uh, that game because you can take them to places around the world you might not be able to take them otherwise you can take them to museums and to, to other countries and other places um, and they can meet other people but when it comes to the junk that is that is really despoiling their minds use that finger to say no you have the power as a mother as a father as a step parent as a grandparent to say no turn off that machine what I hear you saying ultimately is that we have it within our power to build a paradise on earth if if we if we choose to. Absolutely, the the theme song of this of this, of this book, and actually we sing this chant at the end of every service I conduct. Says. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. Eden on earth. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. Eden on earth. One God, one world. One people united in love. One God, one world. One people united in love. Yes, we can bring Eden back to earth. And that's our job. And we need to start. We need to start because, amongst other things, we are doing exactly what the angels warned God against. We are polluting the skies and polluting the rivers and changing the climate and raping the, the, the forest and raping the minerals. And we've got to stop or this precious planet will, will cease to exist. And... At the same time, we have to be in gratitude. Thank you, God. What a beautiful world you've given us. And we are your, your co-creative partners, and we're going to help you sustain this world. And we have to be in awe. Ah, oh, what a gorgeous world we live in. It's the human way. It's the human way. We just have to embrace it. Rabbi Wayne Dasik, what a joy to be with you. I'm touched very, very deeply, and I hope that we'll be able to uh, find the time and energy to uh, talk more about uh, your other books. I certainly feel like you are a fountain of wisdom, and it would be my honor to share more of it with our viewers. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for caring so much about these issues, and thank you for the depth of your conversation. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to be in dialogue with a person like you. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.